I downloaded this this morning. So uh, hopefully, it says 25 minutes. That's what I was given. Um, or to stop. Whoops, it just disappeared. That's really bad. Okay, there we go. So I speak a lot in a lot of places without clocks, and that's always a really bad thing. So I'll hit start. There we go. Um, yeah, so when Dr. Uh, when um, Ch Chaplain Lowe asked me to speak, um, I said, sure, but what, what's, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> so I met with him, and he said, well, just speak about what Jesus has to do with community development. I'm like, okay. So here we go. Um, first of all, I'm an 81 grad of Covenant, so I was exposed to a lot of the same thinking that you've been exposed to. And so I want to start today with the things that we're all rooted in, and that's that creation, fall, redemption story. I'm going to be really fast here and get to the distinctions of community development, right? So we all understand God created all things good. He created humanity in his image. So we talk about the importance of being image bearers or the imago Deo. That's, that's precious, precious, precious. It's a very special thing to be concerned about. But in creation, um, he also gave humanity a task. He calls us to be vice regents, right? So that he's like the king and we're the vice regents to, to, to take care of part of his realm, right? And so what that means is two things as we look at the wider world. We're to both tend and care for what is, whether it's the physical world or the human world. So you guys, for example, who are really involved and concerned about creation care issues, that's just rooted in the beginning of humanity and God's call to us. But he also called us to, in the words of Francis Schaeffer, create bounty. Um, you know, the fall, the, at the Garden of Eden, Eden, it was perfect. But it wasn't complete. If humanity never sinned, we weren't going to stay in the garden. We had a task to create bounty, right? And I love that word bounty better than sometimes just the creation mandate or all that stuff, right? So I was just really deeply um, indoctrinated, indoctrinated in that stuff when I came here. But we know the fall happened, right? And so we didn't lose the Imago Deo. We're still that sacred being, but now we're a rebel. In the words of, one of my mentor at Food for the Hungry, where I worked for many years, we're, you know, we're God's sacred rebel. And that has implications. So Jesus finally comes, right? And we look in scriptures to why he came. We look at John 3.16, God so loved the world. And it's important to understand that the word world there is the Greek word cosmos. That does not say man, God so loved humanity. That he sent his only button sub, but he, he loved all the cosmos, all that he'd ever created. Now, if you move on, obviously humanity is the center issue here. For sure. But there's some bigger picture there. Um, and so Christ comes. He lives. He lives a perfect life. Dies and raised again. And so later in Colossians it says Jesus came to reconcile all things. And the word all there is pantheos. Which again, it's the big picture. It's everything he's created. He, he cares more. He cares deeply and centrally for humanity. But he's not limited to that at all. And so when I was here... Um, and then, of course, we have consummation. So we live, in the words of my Bible professor when I was here, we live in the now but the not yet, right? We live in that min-between time. And in Colossians, I mean in Corinthians, it says this ministry of reconcil this reconciliation God created, we are now called to be his ministers of reconciliation. So that's a call to all of us. No matter where God takes you, that's your task. 
whether you end up in Beverly Hills and you're in that context, you're to carry out the mission of reconciliation, or you live in the poorest barrio in Kenya, you're to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. So now let's get to community development. What makes the task of that ministry of reconciliation, you know, focused is that we think about people that are experiencing economic poverty and physical poverty. We often talk about that as the poverty of condition. Not enough food, not enough water, not, there's not enough safety, there's not adequate housing, there's not livable wage jobs, all of that wide, wide span. So community development is just simply saying we want to carry out this ministry in this particular context, right? So, and that makes it no more special than how you carry out ministry of reconciliation in whatever other context you're in. But it does have some dynamics. So one of the dynamics is asking the question as you look at people in poverty, asking the question, what, what put them there? Why are they in the state that they're in? And <clears throat> that tends to lead us into two different things in community development that we think about. One is, if people are in the situation they're in because basically something has happened that's not their fault. So you've got the recent hurricanes, right, that have come up to Louisiana and people have lost their homes, right? Many of them have lost their transportation sources. Some of them even have lost their businesses, which is a source of income for their family, right? That wasn't their fault. You could say, how stupid to live in Louisiana, okay, but that's kind of harsh, right? So, or it's the person, that family's doing fine, but dad gets really ill, has this bad, you know, really bad illness. They don't have the medical insurance to cover it, and now all of a sudden they've got this huge bill, burden of a medical bill, right? You know, part of whether you like it or not, the Affordable Care Act is trying to create a safety net so that doesn't just absolutely wipe out people. Whether it works or not, that's another story. Um, or your cars, you know, the, the one car you have, and you, you live here in Walker County where I live, and you work at Amazon. And if Amazon, if you're late three times, you're fired, it makes no difference what the reason is. And so your transmission goes to the only car you have. And you can't afford Uber from Walker County. Yeah. Right? There's a lot at stake there, right? So that's what we kind of call crises. And the response that we would say is what gets labeled as relief. You jump in there and you just help. They're missing something and we can provide it, so you provide it. Right? And we talk about having a provider-receiver relationship. And so that is incredibly important to do. So I worked for an agency called Food for Hungry. We're labeled a relief and development agency, recognizing that part of our work is responding to these kind of relief things. Now, for us, they tend to be larger scale things, whether they're famines. And, 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 and when I came into this work, my wife and I started overseas with Food Hungry in 1984, um, living and working in, in poor communities. Uh, a lot of it was around weather. But then in the 90s, it became civil war. You think about Rwanda and all that. And I had friends that worked there, and I was helping work with staff that were working there. I mean, that's a totally different context. But the point is, these big things, but it can be very small scale too, right? Just like I mentioned, you know, the, the health crisis or whatever it might be. And so we respond. And we don't ask much back of the victims, because they're victims, right? And, and that's just showing the love of Christ. Studies have been shown that about 10% of all people who are experiencing poverty at any given time, only about 10% of them are in that situation because of a crisis in their life. 10%. Now, we need to do but that 10% really well. That's for sure. But that's not the majority of work of community development. It's looking at places where there's more, a lot more going on. 
right? Why did that person, when their transmission went, why didn't they have the money to pay for that? Why didn't they have an emergency fund? Why didn't, whatever, right? So we start digging deeper and we start seeing really complicated causality. And if you want to just take develop, what com community development is or development is, it's basically helping people look at their reality, making decisions to improve their reality, and then being able to act upon that, right? That's really what development is, right? And that's 90% of the work of development. Now, we use the term community development because historically, this work was very international, very rural. So you had the idea, here's this distinct community and this distinct community, and that's where it got its name. But the reality is, you can do development at a household level. And for a lot of you guys, our churches, right, we, that's where we tend to live and work. We as churches, evangelical churches, aren't really thinking and on the front lines typically, not that we shouldn't be, but we're not typically on the lines of thinking about the whole community and being involved in that. But we're really concerned about that person who comes to us and says, I can't pay my electric bill, help. And typically, you know, there's a process of say, trying to figure out why can't you pay that? And is it just something's happened in your life that makes this impossible for you to do? Something, some crisis happened, well, then you help with the bill. But most of the time, there's stuff underneath that, right? And so it's digging into whatever that stuff underneath it is to try to get at what would help people move forward in life. And so we have a couple key principles in our work that are really important to us. One is this idea of asset-based development. Um, I was trained in the 80s when we went out to do what was called a needs assessment in a community. And the thinking was, let's get to the root causes, right? And then let's work on those root causes. Because if you get at those root causes, boy, so much good happens out of that. That's not bad thinking. But what it led us to it unintentionally was seeing people as almost helpless and without. And we had to fix it. And boy, that is a huge, huge slap in the face of them as image bearers. So a big part of our work is asking the question, as we go about working with people, looking at their lives and trying to stand with them in that, how are we not just overcoming the poverty of condition, the lack of clean water, but also how are we helping them see who they are and understand and experience what it means to be a sacred person, made in the image of God, precious and special to him. And at the same time, we also have another task, and that goes back to this idea of being uh, vice regents and being stewards of creation, both attending and caring and the creating bounty. Ultimately, that's up to people themselves to do that for themselves and their families and their communities. That's not my job. Right? That's their calling. That's their vocation. Dr. Fickett in our first class theology of, uh, the yeah, theology of community development, I think that's what it's called, we have long, stupid names for our courses, and none of us know what they are. We just know our numbers, 210, right? You hang around, you can tell a community major, community development major, because they only know numbers. Take 210 yet? Take 300 yet? Take whatever. Um, and, and, and he would say that, you know, we are called primarily to provide through our work, right? We have a task to do. So again, asset-based says, hey, you have capabilities. You have experience. You have knowledge. Yes, you're in poverty, but if you had no knowledge, you'd be dead. 
you've got a survival strategy. And some of that's really, really good for your context. But maybe there's some things in it that could be improved to move out of that a little bit. And whatever that might be. So you begin this whole conversation and this interaction and there's tools for this and there's pathways for this. And I don't have time and it's not my task today to try to do the whole major in 25 minutes, right? But it is, the neat thing about community development is we aren't on the cutting edge of anything. We've been doing this work now for a good 40 years. Um, and, and we kind of know what works and what doesn't. Yeah, you come up with some new terminology and a new tool here and there and a tweak here and there, but we're not working out of ignorance, that's for sure. Some of you may be familiar with the fact that Dr. Fickert and I, now it's been quite a while, about 11 years ago, we wrote a book called When Helping Hurts. And, ah! and, and one of my comments to everybody is there's not an original idea in that book. I mean, there's nothing in there that's new. It was new to the church because that's who we wrote it for. We wrote it for the American church to consider some things. And so very limited in its scope and very much so like this is not the new answer. This is not the new paradigm. This is just good practice. Anyhow, so we think a lot about being asset-based. So, so if, if you're gonna go into and work with a, a family, a household, or you're gonna work with a community, you know, one of, the, one of the things you wanna do is spend some time identifying what those assets might be and then asking the question, how can they be mobilized? How can they be put into action? And again, we have tons of tools and pathways um, for this particular thing, very much whether it's the individual or whether it's a group of people, a, a community of some sorts. I think a second uh, principle that's so connected to this is the idea of the importance of people participating in their own lives, right? Um, my, the first book I ever read on community development I was in the back of a pickup truck in Mexico. And I read this book called Two Ears of Corn, A People-Centered Approach to Agricultural Development. And he did a great job of laying out the dangers of doing for people and giving to people and the, and, and the, the inherent dangers of that. And so he said, we need to, this is about walking with people. And some of you guys, if you hang around community development majors, they have a book called Walking with the Poor by Bryant Myers. Uh, who wrote that in the late 90s, uh, he was from World Vision, and it's very much that, walking alongside people to say, you know, what is going on here? What is your reality? And what, could you, what, do, you want, what do you want to do about it? You know, and it's up to you. Um, I, I can guarantee you, okay, this is going to, I love, I, I step on toes, sometimes accidentally, sometimes incredibly purposely. This is really purposeful. Your generation loves community gardens. By the way, mine did too when I was in my 20s. And we had Mother Earth News and all that stuff. We thought, oh, that's everything. Most communities that are poor in the world aren't thinking the key solution to our problems are community gardens. They're thinking, how do we have safety? How do we have livable wage jobs? How do we have affordable housing? How do we make sure our education works for our kids? They got a long list. It is totally inappropriate for us to walk in and put in a community garden because we like it. And it's really easy, by the way. And there's good things that can come out of that. I'm, I'm, there, there is. But who's priority? So just in class the other day, um, in the Community Development 310 class, right, that you're in, uh, we, we talked about uh, this guy named Robert Chambers, and he was writing in the early, early 90s, and he was really a revolutionary figure, said, whose reality counts? Whose reality really counts in this? And he has all these reversals. And one of the key ones is their view of reality and their desires count more than yours for them. 
That doesn't mean they're perfect. When I first went overseas, I was a bit of a Marxist coming out of covenant. Um, I, because I really, we were going to go to Latin America, and at that time, liberation theology was a very important thing. And it was doing a lot of good. Um, and so I had this kind of um, naive, high view of the poor. Almost like Rousseau's noble savage. But you know what happened to me? I started working with poor people in the Dominican Republic. It only took me about three weeks to realize I have the solution that will solve poverty in the entire Dominican Republic. And it's so easy. Just kill all the men. Because I was looking at them and what their actions were and how bad it was for their women and kids. Well, that's probably not the right solution, right? Um, so I quickly got tempered that these aren't noble savages. They're fallen beings just like I am. They're rebels just like I am. But they are sacred. So this work gets really messy really fast, right? When you're hearing they want to do this, and some of that's really good, but we have a right to speak into that and say, well, maybe consider this. But it's not our job to redirect their lives. Guys, that's really hard. Quick, I'll try to give a quick story. So we, were, we ended up in southern Mexico working in some really small mountain communities. And in one of these communities, they had a little, we inherited a little feeding program. And... After a period of time, I realized calories weren't really the issue here. They were getting beans and rice. They were getting enough calories and protein. They weren't getting a balanced diet. So we made some switches anyhow, and we focused more on fruits and veggies, um, which is really funny because my wife's a vegan trying to get me to be one, and I can't stand it. So, but I was trying to make these kids eat fruits and veggies. Uh, so God has a real good sense of humor. But anyhow, part of it is we would ask people in the community to come once a month to help prepare the lunches for these kids. Boy, we had a hard time getting people to do that. We had a core of really faithful people that would do this multiple times a month, which showed they really want this. So finally, kind of a light went off, and I went to them and said, how do we fix this? And they had a solution. They said, no problem. Here's what you do. You make it conditional. That if you don't come and do your one month of the one day a month, this is just one lunch a month, then your kids can't eat. And what they came up with was the next month. Now, nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to die. And that's what they came up with. Guess who was tasked? Guess who was tasked with being the bodyguard or the gatekeeper or whatever, that, the bouncer? Me. And I can remember standing there outside this little feeding center. And this little 10-year-old girl would come up with her 6-year-old and 5-year-old brothers and get ready to walk in. And what we did was if you worked, you got a little coupon that you could use. And I would have to communicate to them, no, you can't eat. And this was a huge change because this feeding program had been going on a couple years. And sometimes they try to push back me, push by, push by me. So here I am. I went overseas to show the love of Jesus to people, and I'm pushing away eight-year-old children from eating lunch. Think that felt good? Think that felt good? 
I'd come home and cry and say, what in the world is going on here? But we kept at it, and eventually, guess what happened? Most of the families realized, okay, this is real. They started coming in, and that led to all sorts of different innovations as people started realizing this outside agency isn't just coming here to give us stuff. And that was the beginning, but it comes at a cost. And sometimes this work really comes at a cost. So back to participation, right? It's not just uh, we've designed for you to put in a well system and your job is to dig the trenches. It's like let's sit together and find out if water is even your key issue. I know it is, but unless you think it is, then we can put it in and the first time the pump breaks, guess what happens? Nobody fixes it because it's not that important to them. And the world, most of us don't want to go back to the communities we worked in because <laughs> we don't want to see all the things that didn't, didn't stay. We love to talk about sustainability, but we're really afraid. Um, and so this work is complex because it's, it's human people um, that they themselves are entrapped in their own sins. They're entrapped in cultures that are teaching them bad things. And they're entrapped in systems that aren't fair. And we're becoming much more aware of that, right, in the U.S. That the, the, this is not a, if you think that you're here in this room because it's a level playing field, that's a lie. You're here because, like me, you're a person of privilege. 30% of Americans graduate from a four-year university. And there's multiple, multitude of reasons for that. But you're the elite, guys. I just did a Christian uh, culture lecture last week on consumerism. And if you start looking at the numbers and you know, median incomes and all that, the only conclusion I can come to is I'm the rich young ruler of scripture and so are you, right? So I don't want to go off on that tangent because I'm supposed to stay within community development, but that's a really big deal, kind of appreciating that. Now that doesn't lead me to give away everything I have, but it does ask, makes me feel very responsible for the wealth and power God gave me. And so it's not just about working with this family, it's also asking the question, why is all this new construction of apartments in Chattanooga that's going on the last five years, why is it that the average price for these apartments is over $300,000? Where's the policy that helps make sure there's some affordable housing being mixed into this, right? So that's part of our work. People who are in our major, yes, we look a lot about what it means to be right in the community because we want people to understand that. So if you do end up at the policy level, you've got a more, you're, you're less naive. Um, and you have a better sense. And you get a much better sense that no matter what lever you pull, there's unintended consequences. I was just talking to, to Chaplain Rowe just before we, I came up, and um, I don't know what you said to me, but something about being older, thank you. Um, I am 64. Um, when I left Covenant College, um, Dr. Davis and I graduated at the same time, so did Tim Morris, a bunch of us. Dr. Pennington, we're all here together. Dr. Morton, the history Morton. We walked out with a real sense of the call was to go conquer culture for Christ. And what life has done is temper <laughs> what that looks like. So my point is, if you're a person who really cares about the poor and is willing to see failure, then our major's for you. If you're a person who must see everything work, then stay away from us. Because our basic model for our major is it's not about success, it's just about being faithful. Because most of what we try doesn't work.
And that's not a cynical view at all. I am definitely not a cynic. It's just looking at that and being okay with that and keep on being faithful. So thank you for your time. And I stopped with a minute to go. Look at that.